Welcome to STMS Talks, a podcast published by the academic journal Scandinavian Journal of Military Studies. In this episode, we're going to talk about military culture, gender and recruitment. Scandinavian militaries share the same problem of recruitment and retention of personnel. We find it difficult to fill the open positions, whether that is at the constable or the officer's level. Some say it has something to do with military culture. The prevalent masculine image of the military and stories of high level of sexual harassment work against the ambition of a good work environment for all. Recently in Denmark, a rather surprising survey result showed that every fifth person working in the Danish military experiences sexual harassment. This is a lot, but as the summary of the survey points out, it is less than in the general population. How come? Has all the work paid off? Or do people in the defense report less than other people do? We have invited one of our contributors, Iselin Celia Kaspersen, to talk about how institutions such as the military shape and break our identity. In her study, Iselin asks what it takes to be accepted as a female soldier in the Norwegian army. She interviewed eight female soldiers about how they negotiate and perform their social identity as soldiers in the army. She argues that how you do soldier have several implications for the way you act and navigate in the military, and she points out that in order to understand the social dynamics of the female military identity, it is crucial to tackle the difficulties of whistleblowing within the army. Iselin is with us from Bordeaux. Iselin, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. I'm so grateful for being here. It's uh, exciting to get to talk about my research. It is exciting. In your article, uh, you study um, acceptance of soldiers. Before we dig into the identity of soldiers in Scandinavia today, I'm, I'm I'm quite curious as to why you focus on acceptance in your research in general. What is so intriguing about taking this concept as as your starting point? Uh, I think uh, one of the reasons why I chose to sort of uh, look into the acceptance aspect is because it allows us to um, look into identity from both uh, a perspective from the outside and as well from the inside because, and it's also a, a concept that I think all of us can relate to. Um, so when we seek to get accepted in a group, um, we sort of negotiate what it means to be who we are. And uh, when we do that, we also internally uh, negotiate within ourselves whether or not we accept how the group understands who we are. So uh, it sort of allows me to, uh, yeah, to talk about or think about identity from from different angles. Oh, let's just dig into it because tell us about the soldier identity part of it, right? Because you you have a background from the military yourself, right? Serving three years in the army, as far as I'm I'm aware, and and, and you spent many years studying soldier identity as a, as a civilian. Uh, what would you regard as the key aspects of a soldier's identity today? Oh, that's exciting. Uh, there, <laughs> um, I think it's uh, a multifaceted answer and it's a difficult answer. Uh, and I don't think I have like a, a single answer, but from from where I stand, I think that um, both in my experience, but also through my research, um, it becomes very cl- clear that um, you get socialized into the identity of a soldier. 
Um, so it's not something that you have from before. It's something that you gain and you continue to, to sort of negotiate what it means when you are a soldier. And I said, like, it's both an internal process as well as being a, a process that is happening on the outside together with your colleagues or friends or group of people and society and family as well. Um, but there, there's definitely a transition um, that occurs and is sort of like, and of, co of course, because you enter what Goffman called a total institution. And it's, it's different today, though, from when Goffman talked about it, because now you can choose to enter the military. It's voluntarily, um, even though in Norway we do have conscription, but it's, it's not a, a strict conscription because we do not have a, a spot for everyone. Um, but yeah, and... Uh, you become you become a soldier and um it's it's negotiated but i think it remains masculine uh and i think that comes very clear from my article as well that there are uh different challenges um that people who do not fit into this stereotype soldier identity um that they face other challenges than those who um is more easily slide into this uh this perfect image of a soldier. So, so when you see like a news report that there are comparatively lower numbers of sexual harassment in some militaries than than the national benchmark, which is to me very surprising. Um, what um, what is your first thought when when you see a like a study like that? Oh, my first thought. Um, my first thought is that. Uh, Sometimes quantitative studies are not <laughs> representative at all. <laughs> and I do work both qualitative and quantitative. So um, they're, they are useful for, for each of their things. But in general, when it comes to lower reports, um, they do not necessarily entail lower incidence rates. So um, I think that these results need to be looked at closer um, to sort of understand whether or not it is factual uh, lower rates of harassment, because um, there are a different, like a, a very, a lot of different pitfalls when it comes to these types of reports, uh, especially in the military. Um, the system is hierarchical. So if you want to give a report, it might be issues that uh, some of, um, if you, if, the one who is harassing you is a superior, then the report might go to your superior. So the person might be the, the same person that you report and report to. Um, but I think also, and maybe the main aspect of this, the main reason why these numbers might not be correct, and, and they could be correct, which I would be the first to be delighted for if they were. Um, but I think that women and in general people who do not fit this stereotype uh, but who remains in the military they learn to accept different behaviors that aren't necessarily correct or or good behaviors and then sort of they they have to accept these types of behavior to manage to stay so if they enjoy their work they, they enjoy their role as a soldier in general but they learn how to accept types of behavior that we in general will regard as sexual harassment for instance to sort of just manage to stay because if mm -hmm. you identify 
all of these types of behavior as sexual harassment, you might be exhausted from dealing with it, thinking about it, negotiating it in your head to sort of, it, it's difficult. It takes up a lot of energy to um, manage to sort out these types of behavior. Um, so if you all the time you have to, uh, to find ways to like identify and negotiate them inside your own head, then maybe also try to correct others and your way or, or your attempt to try to correct others is not accepted. It's it's going to take a lot of hard work to, to do those things all the time. So it might be just easier to just avoid thinking about it, neglect it, and then just let it be. So I think that they might not identify what we in general think as sexual harassment as being sexual harassment. Yeah, because you, you in your article, you I think it's one of your interviewees that uses um, uh, that girl uh, formulation that that you don't want to be that girl, um, and I, and I found that really fascinating. So so, but can you say something about what what that girl like? Who who is that, and, and why <laughs> yeah. do you not want to be it? Uh, like when you're here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that girl. Um, it's sort of like a. a it's something they they that they want to avoid in general because it, you know it's like a negative stereotype of women in the military who stands out uh, in ways that are sort of deemed undesirable. Uh, so when women en engage in um, negotiations about what is considered acceptable as a soldier or as a female soldier, um, they often sort of close in on these negative stereotypes and that requires work. So um, it was like this, one of my interviewees said that she wanted to uh, be able to carry as heavy as the guys, uh, but then that would take her more time because she wasn't as strong as uh, some of the other guys. And instead of sort of correcting the guys and telling them that uh, I want to, to do this work regardless of if it means that our team is going to take uh, some extra time. Uh, she avoids saying that because she wants to avoid becoming that girl that sort of takes up space or require uh, adjustments or, and it also, I can remember that from being in the military myself, where I had my backpack that it's sort of like a framed backpack when I was in the military, it's a lot of years now, but it, the backpack was so tall. So um, the frame sort of touched upon my head. So if I had my helmet on, I wouldn't be able to uh, look forward if I was to fire. Uh, so I was in general not capable of doing my job as a soldier because I couldn't do something as basic as wear my helmet and my backpack and fire seeing what I was supposed to fire at at the same time. And instead of saying something, asking someone to sort of like, can we do something about these backpacks or can I just not wear the helmet? I avoided saying these things and because you don't want to become that person that's always asking for something. And as a woman in the military, there are a lot of these small things that just needs to be corrected. But you don't want to be that person that complains all the time. But some do, some do. And they, they take, like they try to negotiate these things every now and then. But a lot of times they are not accepted. The ways that are they try to sort of speak out and say, 
uh, I didn't like the way that you talked to me. Like, I didn't like that you commented on one, what I was wearing. And they, instead of getting acceptance from the group of people saying that, oh, I'm sorry, I, I will not comment on your on what you are wearing or something, um, people will say, oh, but he didn't mean it in that way. He meant it as a compliment. You shouldn't be bothered by that. And then you are sort of, your correction, your way of sort of trying to negotiate it, what is acceptable is denied. Uh, yeah, so in general, it just, it takes, it takes some effort to, yeah. to be that girl. <laughs> uh, so, so where do you, so where do we, I guess, <laughs> go from, from here in the sense that we have these huge, at least in Denmark, huge problems of recruitment and retention and, and we we want to overcome it, for example, by creating a culture that's more inclusive for all genders. Um, but but do so do we promote a particular female soldier identity, or or do we more go like we need a different, just one soldier identity? And yeah, do you understand what I'm asking? Like yeah. there, there are like two two avenues to go, right? There's a special female soldier identity that we can promote and nurture. Or we can go in a different direction and say we need a a, a one soldier identity that's mm. not gendered at all. But is that even possible? Yeah. So um, I th I think that there might be different answers that can be correct for different sort of locations. Uh, and by that, I don't mean that like Norway would have one solution and Denmark might have another solution. I think that. Uh, some areas of the military, some areas in the army, some areas in the navy, um, might have different solutions for this this issue. But in general, I like normatively, I would prefer that we had an acceptance for people to be who they are, because I think that's the way in general that the society is moving, um, and that that would require us to do the best possible work as soldiers and as like countries that have militaries um and i think that the way moving forward would require work from those who easily are accepted as soldiers because they stereotypically fit uh, because for the people who are in minorities to be the ones that do the work, who, to be the ones that are trying to negotiate and trying to take up or bring forward these important issues that they experience, it is exhausting and they are already doing more work to be accepted. And so I think that that work is something that people who have an easier time should also be doing to sort of ease it up for those who are not as privileged. And I think that, yeah, the military would be um, doing a better job in general if we manage to sort of, it's all about like they talk, the militaries in general, they talk about how we need creativity. We need people who are individually thinkers who, who yeah, who, who are different, who can think in other ways, new ways and to, do that we need to allow a variety of people to be included and to feel included and so so do you have 
like this is a very specific question in the sense because I'm I'm I am I'm just looking for good advice, you know, like good examples of how when that worked. And you you're talking a bit about uh like um whistleblowing, right? That there needs mm. to be good practices for actually being able to speak up in it in a safe and secure way. Do do you have good examples on like concrete examples on, on when we get things to work better in on these kind of aspects in the militaries? I can't remember seeing like um this is the thing. Like you know when you interview people and you want them to talk about their experiences, they are gonna remember the ones the experiences that they have that left the largest mark. And that might not be when they were heard. It might be the times that they weren't heard. Um, so I'm sure there are examples of people being heard. And like when when whistleblowing activities actually did work. But of course, we now we see a lot of severe cases where whistleblowing hasn't worked at all. And those um, reports have been, um, well, severe to say the least like they they are yeah um bad reports and serious reports um but i think for them to work i think it needs to start in all areas there needs to be some some bottom up and some top down processes that uh, enables people to speak out and be heard and i think that I think that maybe the one most important aspect would be for people to stop correcting uh, the this, this small instances. Like when you do choose to speak out and stand up for yourself in the smallest ways, for instance, if you have a comment like, um, someone asks you about sexual preferences or something, something that goes beyond what you feel uh, comfortable speaking about and you tell them oh, I'm sorry I don't like being asked about this or so yeah these small things they they should be heard if you start there then at least people won't be afraid of speaking out because I think that the the corrections that we do and sometimes we don't mean bad like we don't mean to correct them or disregard what people are saying um, but when we do not accept what they are saying if someone tells you that i i didn't like the way you spoke to me or i didn't like that situation that happened or i didn't like the way that my colleague talked to me if we instead of say but don't take it in that way don't um don't allow it to to affect you if we instead say oh i understand that i accept that then at least we will feel that we are capable of being heard which I think is is perhaps the most important change that we could see from everyone. So the first women considered part of the Scandinavian militaries are, are often referred to as Lottas, named after the Swedish author Lotta Svart. What would the, the first female soldiers say about the female soldier identity of today and how we discuss it today? Yeah, I, I think maybe maybe two things comes to my mind. Um, I think that the Lottas would say that uh, it's about time. Uh, like 
that, that women finally are part of the military, they are equal, um, they, can, they can do uh, what they feel like doing to, to defend our nation and do the work that they want to do. Um, so I, I think they would be like about time. This is this is this was about time. Um, but then on the other side, I think that they might also end up seeing or thinking that, oh, maybe it was easier. Maybe it was easier when we had that sort of Lotta community. We were defined. We were supposed to be women. We were women and that's who we were. And we had our defined role. We were accepted based on those terms instead of having to do that work that we've been talking about. Um, so I, I think those two things are the main things that I think that they might have said. All right, great. We, we have arrived at, at the last question of the podcast, the recurring segment. What are you reading right now? I continue to read a lot of things about uh, institutions. I think that's, uh, I, I've changed my my like research areas in different ways. So I, I, uh, um, I study um, um, youths in uh, institutions uh, such as psychiatric wards. And uh, so Goffman remains. Um, and then also uh, aspects of um, religion uh, but then the religious institutions. So uh, I, I'm sticking with institutions, which I think is sort of um, the road ahead seems to be going in that direction where I'm going to be um, maybe terming myself as a, a sociologist who is concerned with institutions instead of coining myself as a military sociologist. Although I, I still keep my identity as uh, well being part of being a soldier and being a military sociologist. Thank you, Iselin Silja Kaspersen, for being our guest on this podcast episode of STMS. And thank you to our listeners. This podcast was brought to you by the Scandinavian Journal of Military Studies and was produced by Jeppe Tejsker Jacobsen, Ravni Lome, music by Jens Bjerring. STMS is an online Open Access Journal publishing both high-quality research and practice-oriented studies relevant to the military profession.